Barukata Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Bakar Bin Ve'im Tovim Veratza Ve'divrehim Ha Ne'emarim Be'emet Baruch Ata Adonai Haboker Batora Uf Moshe Avdo Uf Yisrael Amo Uvin Vie Ha'emet Va Zedek Biskut Mashiach Yeshua Amen. Well, shalom, everybody. Welcome to the Haftarah Get You Some. It is Parashat Nitro TNT Dynamite. Blow stuff up. Rewind time and do it again. Tour portion. So, um, Hasis, Boz, and I are here. And we are in the Haftarah this week. And we are in Yeshiyahu. So, again, shouts out to Yeshiyahu. And uh, here we go. So, Hasis, how you doing? Doing good. Doing good. I'm really excited for this this half Torah, you know. And I know, no, I have a habit of saying that, but you know, it just seems like the more I dig into it, read about it, research, you know, there's always some more that you know we really don't get to talk about. But you know, that's that's amazing that we can find so many diamonds within our Torah and within these writings that passed down for centuries i mean well you know it's a it's a good habit to have as far as always saying you know this is an exciting parsha after us so it's the living word of hashem and hopefully all of it is our favorite so bruce i mean i'd be like uh, rabbi griffin you know it's my favorite tour portion <laughs> right <laughs> well you know while we're on it uh he did well there is the uh, commentary this week of the Hayom Hazeh when they meet at the foot of the mountain that we are to receive the Torah anew every single day, which okay. is really cool when you think about this Torah portion, my favorite, because it's like every new Torah portion is a new Torah portion. And then the Ecclesiastes verse that says there's nothing new under the sun does not apply to Torah because the Torah is beyond the sun. Amen. So, you know, you're kind of uh, pretty much on the right track when you're saying this is my favorite because it should be. It's brand new. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> you know, how, how healing it is, it is for, you know, our, our neshamas, our, our mentality, our emotional state to just see things in that perspective of, uh, God's God's view, yeah. if you will, you know, going above the sun, go beyond our own little uh, little finite restricted world, mm. and you know, Bizraj we're going to touch on that that concept today. Are you serious? Wow! Yeah, getting going outside of ourselves and what that brings when we're able to do that. Mm. All right. Well, then let's uh, let's not delay any further. Let's go for it. All right. So we're coming to that. This course, the the half Torah of Yitro, as you probably figured out if you're you know clicking on this podcast because you know <laughs> Matt does a wonderful job of titling them. <laughs> so, that uh, so <laughs> we're this is kind of a uh, I don't want to say all over the place half Torah, but it's interesting because it does skip around. You know, we have Yeshiyahu 6, 1 to 13, then we jump into 7, 1 to 6, then we go to 9, 5 and 6. Wow. You know, and generally when you see that happening, um, it's usually they end on a somewhat bad note, 
And so they throw a couple verses in because it's traditional. You never want to stop the reading on a bad note. You always want to have something uplifting, a little glimmer of hope to uh, carry you on because the Torah should bring life. I mean. So, um, back by popular demand, after we uh, go with a historical story time. Oh, yeah. Taking it back, taking it back, taking it back to the story time. We rhyme. The political scene. The Syrio-Ephraimatic invasion and the Syrio-Ephraimatic war on Yehuda, this is about 735 before Common Era, Yeshia assured the panic-stricken Ahaz that both Syria and Ephraim would be destroyed in an Assyrian onslaught of their countries. At the same time, the prophet warned the king against seeking Assyrian protection and urged implicit trust in God, who alone could save. Yeshia's prophecy was fully realized when Damascus, the capital of Syria was captured in 732 BCE, and when Samaria, the capital of Israel, experienced a similar fate in 722 BCE. The ravaging of Yehuda by both Assyrian and Egypt, as well as the overwhelming disaster that would crush the former, was also predicted by the prophet. These were fulfilled in the course of the struggle between the two great powers for the possession of the Western Asia and in the annihilation of uh, Zenacherib's army before the walls of Yehuda's capital. The land of Israel's strategic position in the 8th century BCE, there was a critical change in the internal and external affairs of Israel and Yehuda, both passing through the most serious crisis since Israel's first entered the Promised Land. The two greatest world powers of the time were struggling for supremacy, Assyria for the north and northeast and Egypt from the south or southwest. The land of Israel situated between these two countries was for centuries a natural caravan route between them and formed, therefore, the foundation of a highway for armies marching north or south. We have in an earlier part of the 8th century when Assyrian power was temporary on the decline, an opportunity was offered to the kings of Israel and Yehuda to attain some of their ambitions. Jeroboam II extended the boundary of Israel's northwards, while Uzziah was able to strengthen the defense of Yehuda and increase the defense and military power. With the ascension, however, of Tiglath-Pileser III in 745 BCE, Assyrian had again risen to a powerful, a very powerful height, which was maintained and further increased by a succession of energetic rulers, until Asraddin in 670 BCE succeeded in conquering Egypt. During the uh, prophetic ministry of Yeshia, therefore, the Assyrian Empire represented the greatest force that threatened Yehuda and all Western Asia. Egypt, the only nation that could possibly offer any form of resistance to the Assyrian aggression, was ruled in the middle of the 8th century by the 24th dynasty on which the country was rent by eternal dissension. Despite its eminence among the similar nations, it was quite impotent to oppose an effective barrier to the spread of the Assyrian conquest. On more than one occasion, Egypt disappointed the Israelite kings who sought her, uh, her help. Her weaknesses led to procrastination culminated in disillusionment and loss of faith. New life, however, was infused in Egypt's foreign activities about 708 BCE under the 25th dynasty, which consisted of powerful Ethiopian rulers who brought new hope to Yehuda, as to the other peoples around, and inspired the southern kingdom with courage to resist the Assyrian demands and make a bid for independence. 
Huh. And it goes into talking about um, the feet of uh, Zenacherim and a few other things. But you kind of see the background. You have Assyrian and Egypt, these two world powers, this, this fight. Israel's caught in the middle. You know, and you kind of take it back to some of the half tours we did on uh, Jeremiah's time. You know, when okay. we mentioned and Yezchel, when they're rebuking Egypt for not coming to aid. Right. So this is this is before before that time. You say kind of leading up to that, and you have these uh, the the two separated nations. You know, you have Yehuda, and you have the the other ten tribes, mm-hmm. tribe of Ephraim. And so there's there's so much there's so much disunity that Yeshiach is in that he's seen that he's engulfed in. You know, uh, he's known to have a, a very righteous wife, you know, has these two children and he gives them their name and we might touch on it in the half tour of Midrash, but he has these two sons, Sher uh, Yashuv, meaning a remnant shall return and Mahir Shalal Hashbaz, the spoil speedeth, the prey hasten. And so the later son was named as a symbol of warning on the fate of Damascus and Samaria, representing Syria and the kingdom of Israel whose wealth was to be carried away by Assyria. And the name of the former son was a message of comfort to the future exiles of Yehuda. Wow. And, you know, so it, it just mentions that even his wife was called this prophetess and very well known, and he named uh, his sons, the people who would carry on his, his legacy, if you will, um, about just this comfort for Yehuda and the returned, and also about you know this this warning for these these other the you know, warning on the fate of Damascus and Samaria. Hmm. And so you kind of see what's that? I was just gonna say, as a prophet, to name your children, the messages that Hashem has given you, that right there is the definition of all in. Yes. I mean, you think about like you're gonna name your child. The prophecy that Hashem has decreed. And it's just like, yes, that's the name of my son. Okay. Well, Baruch Hashem. So, <laughs> all right. That's, I love that you highlight the fact you think about all these, all these children grow up. People are going to see them grow up. They're going to watch their, watch their life. And they're going to be constantly reminded of Yeshua's message right. and, and who he was. And you read a lot of what he, he focused on, his, his concepts, his hopes, his, his visions that he prophesied for Israel. And there's a reason why he really floods the scene of the half Torah so much. And you have all this hope of redemption and, and, and hope and this, this beautiful time to come. You know, you have the universal sovereignty of, of Hashem, which he preaches, and then also, you know, world peace. Wow. And, you know, it's kind of ironic coming from the time period he's in. There's all this dissension. You know, there's all these different, you know, you have the separation of Israel going, and you have these two world powers fighting. You have all these wicked kings like Ahaz and, you know, uh, Menashe later on down the line. Right. But still, his, his message his message is this. His message is... How do we live in a world that, that's so dark and so chaotic and, and tries to tear us apart so much? We're, we're so worried about our own power, our own selfish interest. 
how do we how do we live in this world and well you know how do, how do you like his perspective is so beautiful like i'm just reading a passage from uh yeshia 11 that that talks about how how we achieve this peace this this shalom and how do we make these changes in such a dark era if you will mm. like this and so he mentions this he says in six talking about the wolf shall dwell with the land and the leopard shall lie down with the kid and the calf and the young lion and the fattened calf together and a little child shall lead them the cow and the bear shall feed their young ones shall lie down together and the lion shall eat straw like ox the suckling child shall play on the hole of the asp and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den they shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain for the Eretz, the land, shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters covered the sea. Oh, snap. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we look at the world around us, and it's so self-based. You know, you got, like, different languages like iPhone, and you have all this, oh, all this media that is constantly, like, pushing in our mind. You billboards, TV... Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, um, uh, Snapchat, all, all this stuff that is literally pushing in front of our face all these desires, all these things that are contrary to Hashem, trying to get us to say, hey, this is the standard of beauty. This is what life's about. It's about you. It's about your desires. It's about what you want and what you can uh, achieve in this world and what you can take from people. And how you're better than everybody else. This is the standard of beauty. This is the standard of living. This is the standard of, of values. This is what makes you a man. This is what makes you a woman. This is what makes you desirable. And nothing and, could be far from the truth. <laughs> yes, yes. You know? And you have, you know, you just even kind of look at, you know, how the Holocaust kind of started up. Oh, man. It, you see this propaganda spread out about what is the standard of human existence and, and what is unfavorable traits and what is the unfavorable lineage and what is the unfavorable custom, you know, what is, what is ugly and what is good in this world. And, you know, people start developing that mindset and all of a sudden you have people like, uh, demonizing certain certain groups, mm -hmm. you know, and that's really what happens. And we wonder why we have so much hatred and so much evil in this world. And it's really because we're so self focused, we're so egocentric. And Yeshua, he gives us the the solution to this. May I tell says, one little thing? Whenever you have a moment, to what you're saying. Yes. Are you are you transitioning? Or are you about to? Well, I'll I'll I'll, uh, I'll say this this point, and I'll I'll let you tag in, I guess. Okay. But you look at this whole uh, frame, if you will, and you look at Yeshua eleven, and that little section that we read, and juxtaposed to all this peace between. These polar opposites, the things that should be in battle with each other, juxtaposed to that is the knowledge of Hashem. 
what is is truly going to heal us what's truly going to to stop uh, all this evil we see in this world whether it's racism bigotry corruption anti-semitism uh child slavery uh sex slaves uh, drug drug reigns you know all, all this evil all the lying the corruption um uh, false judges, false testimonies. Uh, what's really going to stop that is knowing Hashem. <laughs> That's what causes peace in this world because we look at ourselves too much as um, colors. I'm not even talking about just the pigment in our skin, but you know, even like personality-wise, you know, they 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 judge people. They color color code them. Like, oh, you're a blue personality. You're orange personality. They attribute colors to this. Good. And we look at so much as colors, and we're so separate. And we're like, oh, we take pride in in our 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 color, if you will, personality, skin tone, you know, mentality, whatever it is. And we really look at that, and we should not see ourselves necessarily as colors. We should see ourselves as a shade in the spectrum, if you will. Amen. Because we look at one thing that we compare Hashem to so often, and uh, you know, Rabbi Shaul says it, and you know, different works of, of Kabbalah, Midrash, and even uh, Torah itself compares Hashem to light. Mm. But what happens when a single beam of light enters a prism? A prism. Come on. You get a whole spectrum of colors. That's right. When we stop, when we stop seeing ourselves as individuals, and this is our highlight. This is our world. It's about us. And we start seeing ourselves as shades. You know, we start seeing how we're connected to each other. We start seeing how, even if someone's different, even if they're at the opposite end of the spectrum, so to speak, we see their their part in the bigger picture. We see them as a light of a shim, this different aspect that's shining through. And if we really want things to be better in this world, you know, whether whether you're Jewish or whether you're just a human being who's tired of all the evil. If we really want it better, then we really have to know Hashem. And we really have to reflect His light in this world. And that's what Yeshua really comes to teach us. Well, you know, so so my tag is basically the Kehert Humash on the Hasidic Insights for chapter 19 of Shemot and verse 1. It says this, the Torah was given, says Maimonides, which is the Rambam, to bring Shalom into the world. Mm. Hold on, I think I didn't read that right. The Torah was given, says Maimonides, to bring Shalom into the world. Okay, I did. Okay. Through the Torah. Hmm. Through the Torah, that which brings peace into the world, God allows his infinite wisdom to be distilled, i.e. light hitting a prism, into a form accessible by finite creatures. He thus gave humanity the capacity to bring godliness into the world, to continue to exist as finite human beings and still attain a level of divine consciousness. The Torah does not, I say the Torah does not, well, that's what it says. Not. <laughs> it does not superimpose one reality in place of the other, but rather melds the two into 
a godly and meaningful existence in the context of this world. So Kehard Humash needs to go somewhere because basically what you just said, you're you're really elucidating why the Talmudim of Mashiach and why did Shaul and why did you know uh, other writings that are in the in the current canon of the Brit Hadashah. Uh, why do they always say things like submit to one another, live in harmony and Messiah, may the shalom that was in him be in you. And yeah. furthermore, Yeshua himself in Yochanan 17 says, and this is eternal life, that they may know the father and his Messiah, the one he sent into the world. So definitely, if you understand what Hasiz has just said, Getting rid of the eyes, getting rid of the egos, getting rid of the mys, getting rid of the world's standard of telling us what shalom is and telling us what we need to be aspiring to. It all needs to be done away with and we need to turn to Hashem and walk in that which brings shalom into the world. And if we all do that as we esteem one another over our very own selves, now now we're talking about some goodness. Yes. That's amazing, man. I love that. Thank you for support that. You know, Yeshua says, you know, my shalom, I leave with you. Mm. And, you know, we didn't really get into the half tour of, of Ayagash, but uh, this is one of the articles that I was, I was uh, uh, reading. And is is mentioning the whole legacy of Mashiach and Yosef Ooh. and how essentially he submitted himself as as someone who would be lowered or less than, if you will, Mashiach ben David. Oh. And like his legacy is unification, rectification. His legacy, his mission is to be the symbol of harmony in the world and to be the harbinger, harbinger of, of shalom. Mm. You might as well go and drop the Kol Hatur on it because... The legacy of Mashiach ben Yosef is to establish the throne and reinstate the Davidic dynasty of Mashiach ben David. Man. So Mashiach ben Yosef himself is literally the throne on which Mashiach ben David sits. Wow. <laughs> so I don't know about you, but that's that right there. That's. Man, could you imagine being a chair for somebody? No. <laughs> it's just like, you know what? You need to rule and reign over the world. So let me be your chair. You know, it's like, because that's you know, what Mashiach Ben Yosef did. Yeah, that's, a, that's a good good mentality, you know? Let's let's support our brothers. Let's help them sit up. Yes. Let's lift them up high. Let's okay. give them a place of, of comfort. And a position where they can, where they can be lifted up, where their traits, their good traits, can be highlighted. Yes. Where their their knowledge and their their character, their good traits, can be revealed. You know, and thrive and thrush, uh, flourish. You know, we we mentioned that in in this half Torah and Yitro. Hmm. You know, Yitro comes to Moshe and says, you know, and Moshe's judging every single person. Says, "It's what you're doing is not good." Hmm. And why is that? Why? You know, it's because literally you have 
like he's not one aspect to that is he's not allowing other people to flourish their abilities Ooh. part of being you know this this rabbi and this great leader is to see the talents and those around you and allow them to utilize that to bring even more blessing to the the community the nation if you will come on and the other aspect of that is if you don't allow that to do it if it's just you making these decisions then you are it's literally going back to the ego thing we we're talking about you're just highlighting, you're saying, hey, this one color in the spectrum is the color. And if you don't match this this color in the spectrum, then, you know, I'm sorry, you just, you're useless, you're worthless, you don't match up, you you don't meet the requirements. Yikes. You know, and so there's this danger, even though Moshe was the most humble man in the world, Yitro came and watched out for him. He says, hey, you want to keep this humbleness lasting? You want to keep your humility and keep your close to Hashem? Then what you need to do, you need to start setting up other people. Mm. Who could who could share their their viewpoints, share their judgments? Not it's not just about taking burden off you. It's also about making sure you keep your closest to a shim, making sure there's also people who can hold you accountable. Uh, it sounds like you're talking about building the temple because you oh. realize what <laughs> tore down the most recent temple about two thousand years ago was. What's currently going on in the world today? All the I, I, and the me, me, and I'm better yes. than you, and you're not better than me, and I just don't like you, and I don't have to tell you why I don't like you. I just don't. <laughs> so if you understand like the, the whole rewind process, getting back to Torah, and, and doing exactly what Yitro told Moshe, it's just kind of like, oh, snap, we about to have the alum, Haba. So anyway, I just, listeners, I hope, I really hope, myself and Hasiz included, I hope we're hearing what words are coming forth right now. This is literally salvation. This is literally redemption coming through the speakers right now. May we all grab a hold of this. May Hashem help us. And may we see the manifestation of the temple in our day. Let's build it. Let's build it right now. Let's do it. Amen. All Amen. right. Woo. So, getting into our half tour. <laughs> <laughs> we have just this 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 slight introduction from the midrash, and it mentions this Masem Rachava. You know, yeah. Shem's heavenly throne. You mentioned this uh, this throne, surrounded by all these angels, and you know we. We mentioned this idea, and you know, even in uh, Shavuot, you have the prophet uh, Yechezkel in chapter one. This is uh, the half tour for like the first day of Shavuot, and he mentions this this chariot. Um, but it's also, you know, Yeshia also had this the the same vision, even if not more so. Wow. You know, but it mentions that uh, Yechezkel had this vision, um, because. He was like a, a villager who he who needed to give more details so that people would believe him. <laughs> what? Because remember he was he was exiled, and so you know how can you have prophecy in this land? You know, but it's like kind of like the villager who who says he sees the king. The more details he provides, the more uh, the more he's he's believed, right. and the more credibility he has. Whereas Yeshia, uh, you know. Yeshiyahu was a lot closer, and so he didn't need to give as quite as many details. 
Man. <laughs> so, but then again, you you have you have this chariot, and you know we uh, and Kremel Talmud, he dropped this whole idea about this chariot and the, the four faces that's on it. Oh yeah. And we were talking about knowing Hashem. Let's talk about this this Machab. Let's talk about his his heavenly throne. Hmm. Because on it reveals so much about him. You have the face of an ox. You have the face of a, a lion. You know, ox, Mashiach, Ben Yosef, face of lion, Mashiach, the David. You have the face of a man. Not and then you have the face of the eagle, which he was saying represents a shim. Yes. And so he was, he was going to this idea of, you know, Hashem being our, our redeemer being our, our Mashiachs, coming in the form of the man in order to bring us redemption. <laughs> you know, you think that's strange, just go back to Bashalach, <clears throat> Bashalach, you know, chapter 15, where they're singing the song. They they point to, to Hashem, says, this is my God. Yeah. We will worship him. He says, this this is, you know, he has become my Yeshua. Right. <laughs> and so let's, let's just need to think about that. You know, what that says about him and oh, what wow. he's willing to us. Man. Well, it goes to talk about verse one. It says Yeshua relates, and the year when King Oziahu became a leper and hence was considered like dead, I envisioned a shim in heaven, sitting on a throne, high and exalted, and his hymns filled the Behemikdash on earth. Yeshua saw the Almighty passing judgment on King Oziahu. And so it mentions this this guy, uh, the king, was Yahoo. He was a, um, and as long as his Torah teacher was alive, he was righteous. But after his passing, he started neglecting his Torah studies in favor of, you know, farming, which was his passion in life. Ooh, and so he, eventually he ended up declining spirit, uh, spiritually to such a sense that he wished to offer the Ketoret on the golden altar on the Beit HaMikdash, which is forget, forbidden to a non-Kohen. Right, and so he he ignored he ignored the the rejections, and he said this mentality: I am a king, and a shim is a king. It befits the human king to give offerings to the divine king. Oh my goodness! And so another human reasoning, like we can't just approach. We you know, if a shim said something, we got to do it. We can't, you know, just try to manipulate things with our own philosophies, our own outlooks in life. You can say that again. <laughs> Well, you can't try to manipulate things. That's fine. <laughs> but you know, through this came came leprosy, right? And you know, in in a way, Yeshayahu was, you know, he was like, okay, well, he had been a righteous king, and this decree is kind of harsh. And so Hashem allowed him just a glimpse into the heavenly court to see what actually was going on in the heavens and how awful this act was. Ooh. It was literally, it was like so severe. It was a front to the, like arrogantly seizing an office forbidden to him. Mm -hmm. You know, just like this attack on this this authority of Hashem that was going on in these heavenly realms. Well, and you know, it's 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 interesting because it goes on to talk about you know why are these hymns seen? Why is it mentioned hymns at all? The Almighty's hymns that go into the Mikdash below. It, it, it talks about, you know, um, Yeshua saw the throne being lifted up back to heaven to reside there because of B'nai Israel's sins. Mm. Only its hymns were a mere tip, would be able to remain in contact with the Beit HaMikdash. 
But on the positive note, it showed that, you know, Hashim, his his hymns are in the earthly band Mecca, so he still has, he's still occupied in our earthly matters. He hasn't completely forsaken us. Wow. That's mercy right there. Man. Now, these hymns that you're referring to are actually found in our Siddur. You know, the all of the different brakot and blessings that we say, uh, especially for the morning Shema that precede when we actually get to the, the paragraphs of the Shema. We talk about the ministering angels, the summit of the universe. All those are actually hymns that are done in Hashemayim. So that's what is being talked about right now. Man, it's, it's so beautiful. You know, you, you look at that Sador and you just look at the footnotes and you're literally reciting scripture to Hashem. Yes. You're literally living in in the, in the scripture, in Tanakh and Torah itself. And, and I so, was told as a youth that, you know, if you really want to pray effective prayers to the Lord, that you need to be praying the Bible, baby. That's what you need to do. You need to pray the scriptures. <laughs> And I was like, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, because I had different people telling me all this stuff. And I'm like, these are some strange people. <laughs> and it's like the Jews have known all along. You, you need to do that. <laughs> That's so true. But I mean, you, you look at people who've argued in defense of the Jewish people. They've always they've always quoted scripture. Be like, Hashem, it says this about you. Mm. So, you know, hey, own up. Own up to who you are, because you follow your word. Unlike earthly kings, you follow what you say. And when it yeah. thinks something is right, it leads to life. When a man thinks about something being right, it, somehow it just leads to death. It doesn't matter what it is. It's like, you know, I think I'm going to do this. Like King Uziyahu, I think I'm going to offer these Ketur. And Hashem is like, uh, you're going to die for that. I don't think you should do that. You know what my word says. And he's just like, ah, it's your word, though. It's old. I'm with the new. And it's just like, that's not good. Anyway, you were saying. Well, we go into verse 2. We're talking to these seraphim who stood close to him to serve him. You know, talk about their six wings. They're covering their faces. They cover their feet. And we mentioned that in part in a, in a half tour or two back. Oh, uh, my one. goodness. Um, but, you know, it mentions... There, there's why why seraphim you know there's these nine different groups of angels no. there's the the tasrim there's ophanim uh chayot seraphim right here uh irlim the erin the chadashin the tarshalim and the chashmalim so there's these whole bunch of types of angels oh tag whenever no. you're done tag just go okay. <laughs> so why seraphim because wow. you know it comes from uh, seraph with like to burn, they're like this all representing this all-consuming fire. Because once they saw what uh, Uziyahu did, the angels appeared to Yeshua for they're they're demanded of the Almighty that he be punished, this king be punished with burning. Mm -hmm. And then it goes talks about well, why did they cover their feet? You know, it, it's talking about this is a lesson to us because they did so out of sanut, modesty. Ooh. And it's this idea, you know, that, that teaches us we should be careful not to reveal parts of our body unnecessarily, even in private, because the shims is, is always in front of us. Wow. 
And this is so contrary to, you know, the, the world that we have today, where it's like beauty is revealing everything, you know, chas shalom, you know, but, you know, even in our, our the boat of our home, your prior life, we need to be concerned about modesty because we're in the presence of king. And I'm going to touch on, touch on more of the idea of why that's important and how it relates to us a little bit. Uh, but you had a tag. Okay, so really quickly, when you look at the word perushim, oh, Slika, I already said it. <laughs> Freudian slip. <laughs> yes, surprise, I just spoiled it, but uh, the word seraphim rearranges to the word perushim, which is the Pharisees. Oh. So... When you look at those who are on fire, those who are modest, those who are distinct and holy ones, you know, because the, the ones who say kadosh, 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 you know, uh, that that is also the perushim. This is why Mashiach Yeshua was really hard, uh, so to speak, with the rebukes, because you rebuke someone you love. And especially if you have a great responsibility, you best believe you're going to get some rebuke if you're out of line. So... If you're going to be a perushim, if you're going to be a Pharisee, and you're not going to be holy and like you're supposed to be on fire for Hashem, then we're going to have to, you know, stoke the, the coals a little bit and, and fire it back up. So anyway, just wanted to share that. And we also have six wings. We have two hands. We have our zitzikatan, which are our wings, by the way. And then we have our feet. So if you kind of look at our two front wings, our two back wings, and our hands and our feet... You know, um, we're kind of like uh, the angels of Hashem. And actually, uh, some of the Midrashim actually talk about the ministers of Hashem are called fiery servants, which are the Jewish people, because we are people who are consumed in Hashem's fire because we abide in his word. So when you think about us covering ourselves with our talit, we're doing the same thing that the seraphim do before the throne of Hashem. Okay, I'm done. Man, okay. I, I might have to get on, on a little tangent, you know, because this glory of the angel, you know, their wings are like this glory. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned the body, like our hands, our upper wings, if you will, our, our feet, our, our middle, our lower wings, and our middle wings would be our zitzits, correct? Yes, that is what I was saying. Chazal comment on this in, in the Talmud, and mm -hmm. they mentioned this contradiction between uh, Yechezkel and Yeshiyah. Because in Yeshia says they have six wings, but in Hezchel they have four, and they're both seraphim. Mm. And it goes on to say that each wing corresponds to a letter in the second blessing that follows the Shema. Oh. Mm. And so the middle wings are Chovod uh, Malchuto, the glory of his kingdom. Oh. And so why they only had. They didn't have their middle wings, which corresponded to those two words, because in Yechezkel's days, the, like, the temple was destroyed, they're exiled, and so they're missing their glory. Oh. And so, Billy, what are you saying when you're not wearing zitzi, when you're not wearing those wings? Oh you're not destroying the glory of his kingdom. <laughs> and what does it say when you are? Let's look at the positive note. You are declaring the glory of his kingdom, and you're looking forward to the rebuilding of the temple and Mashiach's soon and speedy coming. Amen. Hasis, you're saying that us wearing our zitzit are the kavod of his kingdom, which means we become an extension of ha makom. 
We become the place where Hashem is. His glory rests here, is what we're saying. And how are we going to, you know, it mentions the, the angels cover their eyes with the top wings. They cover their feet with their bottom wings. So how are you going to ascend if you don't have those middle wings? Man. How are you going to ascend to sing his praises? This is the next verse. You know, mention, you mentioned Kodosh, Kodosh, Kodosh. You know? Man. Cool. This is our next book. This is verse three. This is where it's from. Mm. And claim this. And it is this beautiful idea that you have 4,960 million angels who exclaim these words from sunrise to sunset. And blessed be the glory from his place from sunset to sunrise. Man. And only the greatest one, Mikhail and Gabriel, recite these this daily. The other angels are permitted to say only once a week, a month, maybe in a Yovel year, 50 years. Man. You know, but they cycle out. They constantly cycle out. And it's just mentioning this whole glory of being able to say these these praises. And here we are, you know, you you have you get in a minion, you're able to say this section of the prayers. The Kedusha, uh, come on. Yes, it's just the honor to praise Hashem. Right. You know, we mentioned wearing Zitu, we mentioned uh, covering, uh, being being modest and covering up. And, you know, we mentioned this, saying these prayers. And it's just, just a little perspective shift for us. And, mm. you know, it's it's interesting you get into uh, this this idea of, like, why they're saying holy, holy, holy. Talking about the, all, the, all the world is filled with His glory. Mm. And it mentions that uh, that based on on kind of this idea about the world being filled with glory, how the Shekinah fills the entire earth, that a part of the halakha is that a Jew should not walk for almost, which is about like six six point three feet, with a bare head. For it says the entire world is filled with his glory. Failure to cover the head would be disrespectful towards the Shekinah that fills earth. Wow. And so we, we're mentioning these ideas, you know, and it's just like little little aspects of halacha where it's covering your head, whether it's being modest, even if it's in your own home, not exposing more than you have to. Um, mentioning, saying these praises of Hashem, we're mentioning wearing zit seats. But why do we do this? Why? And I'd, I'd like to argue that, you know, we we don't really see Hashem. Who? And... And the idea is, you know, there's a lot of things that are real in this world that we don't see. In fact, I would, I would argue 99.9999% of the world, as we mentioned before, is things we don't see. It's supported on these forces, these four fundamental forces of the Earth. And even even one of those being the electromagnetic spectrum, which is like the spectrum we're talking about, the spectrum of light. We don't see most of those spectrums. We only see the visible spectrum of light. You know, right now we're on this, this podcast, there's these... Um, there's all these electromagnetic waves that are coming that are allowing us to have this conversation that we're not able to see if we were to make things really confusing. But beside the point, you know, there's this idea of how do we make this invisible, infinite God real to us? Can I how do we tag how you we, real quick? Yeah, let me, let me just finish this thought real quick. All right. This is the idea. Like when, when we do this, when we cover our head, before we walk a certain amount of steps, when we wear seat seats, you know, when we put those put those on in the morning, when we when we like act modestly, 
even when no one's looking, when we dress modestly and act modestly, because it's not just about dress, it's about speech and thoughts as well, mm. we are making Hashem real to us. Ooh. We're making the invisible God seen in this world. Ooh. And this really goes back to knowing him. Because once once we, we milk him real to us, we, we understand him, we know him, and we make the world known to him. And it goes back to the verse from Yeshiyahu 11, where it says this is this verse of the knowledge of Hashem is juxtaposed to the verses about bringing peace between things that should be at odds with each other. Wow. So this whole idea of just observing simple halacha makes Hashem real to you, it makes you know him. And in turns, it sets off this chain of events that brings peace to the entire world, even though we don't see it, even though it's invisible to us. We make it real by making a shim real and known to us and others around us. The, the distinguished gentleman in the writings to Corinthians says in his sequel, which will be Second Corinthians. It says in chapter four, verse 18. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen for what is un for what is seen is temporary. It ain't going to last. But what is unseen is eternal. Torah or Parsha Miketz, because that's how far we going back. If we can do Vayigash, we can do Miketz as well. It says that the mitzvot form a garment for the soul in the Olam Haba. And it says these garments embrace and they wrap the soul, serving as a protector and shield against great godly energy that is revealed in Gan Eden. Although the entire purpose of Gan Eden is to serve as a reward for the souls through the soul for the souls through the soul's experience of pleasure by basking in godliness. But if we're gonna bask in godliness, it must be screened and shaded in order for the soul to retain its existence and experience the pleasure. Because if not, it will be it will not be able to stand and it will be like disintegrated. So wow. this idea that you're talking about of, of covering and not exposing what we how, what we don't need to. That may seem very restrictive, but we should get used to wearing clothes because when we get into the Alam Habat, you're not going to want to not ever be without clothing of some sort. And this yes. is why Adam and Hava weren't naked in the garden until they partook of nakedness. And again, what is unseen is eternal. Okay. Wow. <laughs> That's amazing. So we're at about uh, 15 minutes left on the podcast, and we're in verse 3. <laughs> so yeah. uh, you can feel free to do whatever you would like to do, and just let me know when you want to land. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I haven't got the good part yet. Because <laughs> we're tangent on tangent on tangent of get you some, and that is totally great and uh i thank hashem for this because i pray that it's bringing life and shalom and salvation to all mankind amen amen and they, you know i apologize i said i haven't gotten the good part yet but there's no part of tour that's that's not good and so just to correct, I, I meant i haven't got the part that i really wanted to focus on yet but 
That's, hey, all that's up. a great. That's a great Musar Habibi. Wow. My man Duxem. Okay. Whew. I don't so, know what to do with myself right now. <laughs> it goes into later um, Yeshua's reaction um, toward toward what's going on to what he sees about uh, Ben Mekdash filled with smoke, this chorus of angels. Um, and it, it mentions you know, he has his remorse for remaining silent when he should have sang his praises, the praise of Hashem with the angels. He missed this chance, if you will. Ooh. He expresses this idea, you know, his, his words express his regret and teshuvah. And nevertheless, you know, Hashem's still angry. He says, you should not have added the words that B'nai Israel were impure. Because he says, because his excuse for not singing praises, he says, um, how I, but, so I am aware of how pure and holy the angels are, while B'nai Israel and I are impure. How I regret this missed opportunity. I would have become perfect and immortal like the heavenly being. So it says his words just like express his regret, his teshuva. But Hashem's still angry. He says, you should not have added the words that B'nai Israel were impure. Mm. Hashem said, is it wrong that you have spoke? It, it is not. It is wrong that you spoke evil about yourself. Nevertheless, you are forgiven for this. But you have no right, no right to pass a verdict on my children. How can you attribute impure lips, B'nai Israel, who uttered the words, we will do and we will hear at Har Sinai? Oh. And to recite the Shema twice daily, thus proclaiming my unity. And it just goes on this idea how people have spoken ill of other people, even, you know, Eliyahu, even Moshe, uh, you know, they, they call rebellious people. They called him, you know, like... All this thing, Eliyahu says, hey, they broke in your coming. They demolished your altars. They, they exterminated your prophets. And this really comes from, this really comes from, the evil speech comes from the serpent who implanted that within us. Oh. Because that really was his sin, to, to go against Hashem's order, to speak evil, to, to blame, you know, to accuse. And all that's just trying to trickling down. And, you know, it mentions this idea that what Hashem really wants from us is that, you know, all these people should have begged the Almighty to arouse B'nai Israel to do Teshuvah. Yes. Because if Jews are criticized on earth, it evokes accusation to heaven. And if they're defended on earth, it arouses defense by the heavenly host. And you look at these people, they had a lot of good reasons for doing this, if you will. You know, you look at uh, Yeshiyahu, look, what was he surrounded by? We, we just read about his environment. You look at Eliyahu, what was he surrounded by? Look at Moshe, look at his environment. People constantly complaining, though know, they had all these miracles. Right. And so they had good reason. They were in a terrible generation. But it, it kind of goes back to our perspective. That Our perspective really is our shield in life. And we really need to start seeing ourselves as shades in the spectrum instead of just colors. So this is right, this is wrong. You know, because once we see that, we see people's part in it. We see that they're part of that spectrum, and we just need to bring them close to Hashem. Yes. Because it's so easy 
if your religion or religious lifestyle to be, hey, look at that person person over there, look at what they're doing, and you spit out a curse against them. Look how they're acting, look how they're driving, look how they're, you know, uh, yeah. look at look at their mentality, look at what they're doing in their life, look at all their sins. Come on now. And we tend to highlight these things. And it's a tendency that was even among the Sadakim, but that's not what Hashem wants. Because if that's really what he wanted, he would have just had angels. Oh, oh. Because when they saw it was the Yahoo sinning, they wanted to burn him in fire. But Hashem gave him leprosy instead. Oh, my goodness. So he, repent. He, he carved a path for him. When King Manasseh, one of the most, arguably one of the most wicked kings of all Israel ever had, you know, he actually ended up doing Teshuvah, and Hashem battled off angels and created a path for him to be able to do Teshuvah. And what does really Hashem want from us? He, he doesn't want us to, to be this ideal standard and how we're good and everyone's bad. He wants us to, to see people with a new perspective, to see his diversity that he's created as something beautiful and something that's not meant to be necessarily changed. Hashem doesn't want us to change people. That's our, not our mission to change people. Come on. It's our mission to refine people. Yes. Because diversity is beautiful. Diversity is beautiful. Diversity is part of the spectrum, and it's meant to be. And if you if you if you try to exterminate part of that diversity, whether it's a, a mentality, whether it's like a, a certain like culture or, or race, if you try to do that, then you're you're really trying to destroy Hashem. Pretty much. You know, and so it's what he really calls for us, and we just need to be people who who look to uh, to for the best in people and to ask Hashem, yes, we, there is time for rebuke, but when we come before Hashem, we're not meant to point out the flaws of his children. No father wants to hear that. That's right. He wants to hear someone who's willing to defend his children, who's willing to sacrifice, who's willing to be that light for them. By how? By doing just simple things as, Hey, covering your head, yeah. you know, before walking six step, by wearing tzitzit, by studying Torah, by, by proclaiming his holiness by being modest in his presence because it's that knowledge of him. It's making him real in your life, doing these practical hawk at things that's making him real in your life. And that's allowing you to know him and in turn the world to know him. And that's going to bring this peace. That's going to help re redeem us from this, uh, evil divisive, uh, spirit, this egotistical spirit of it's all about self. It's all about me. And, that what that brings to the world is just evil and ruin. Well, as it is written in one of Yochanan's letters, in uh, chapter 4 of his first letter, it says in verse 12, No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. So in other words, this is a cryptic, <laughs> cryptic uh, statement to say that if you really want to see your shim, try loving one another and call and and uh, live in such a way where Hashem has his habitation within you. And then as we do that as a community, then that will complete Hashem's love and then we will see Hashem. You know, it's that's amazing because uh, love, Ahava, has the same gemachi as Echad. Come on, you know, unity, 
and it's through that that brings unity. And you look at the word unity, there's three different letters in it. <laughs> right. There's this diversity within even that, that simple word. But it's all about it's all about unity. And you let's know? not forget that in Parsha Yitro, it says that B'nai Yisrael encamped in front of the mountain. And it uses the singular form mm-hmm. of he encamped. So Amen. Israel, all is one. Kol Echad, as Rabbi Griffin always says, when we do that, that's where we start to see things. Yeah. Well, all if right. we can just kind of fit, finish up this little section about Yeshiahu. All right. And what do you think? So we mentioned he's, he's touched with this burning coal. And this sort of atones for his sins. This this affliction atones for his sins. Um, and you know, there's also this other idea of he is becoming like Moshe. <laughs> oh, the midrash. Yes, baby Moshe. Baby Moshe. You know, he grabbed because the angel Gabriel pushed the coal. You know, Gabriel was a pusher. Yes, um, right. <laughs> He pushes so many people. He pushes uh, Hadassah, you know, um, Esther. He pushes Moshe. He's a pusher. Yeah. But he's pushing for a good reason. That's right. The good Gavora, good strength. And so he he's the one who ended up touching him with the lips of this coal. And it's it's there's this little illusion that he, in doing that, he becomes like, like Moshe. Wow. And the reason that's important is and we won't have time to touch on it but you know later in this if you keep reading through yeshiahu seven nine it mentions the redeemer come it mentions emmanuel and mentions it mentions the um you know this is where the the five titles where it's given like sar shalom mighty counselor you know wonderful eternal father all all these titles living getting it so it's like why is he? Why is there this hint within the midrashim and this verse in, in the in the Tanakh and the prophets that he's burnt with coal? Mm. It's because he is 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 foreshadowing the redeemer to come, just like Moshe. Wow. You know, because so the first redeemer, so will be the the second redeemer. That's right. He ends up hiding in this tree because there's this idea um, Menashe wanted to kill him. And so he says one of the names of Hashem to put him in a tree of all things. Yes. So, you know, we just get off from uh, Tuvashvat. Right. And, you know, it's just, it's just interesting because we're talking about this hiddenness and we're talking about looking at the potential and pulling it out of people. And this is the moment when, like, the sap, according to Rashi, the sap is rising in the trees. And even though everything looks dead, there's so much potential that's blossoming that's going to allow the trees to, to thrive in spring. That's right. And so you kind of think of, of why did he choose the tree of all things? Why didn't he, you know, turn to a brick wall? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, could, could it be? It's just a possibility. Just knowing that's out there that, you know, he was thinking it is a tree of life to all who take hold of it. Oh. You know, and but what's mentioned here is he's actually this horrific death. He's sawed through his mouth. Yep. The very, very thing because he spoke ill of B'nai Israel, said there, there are people of impure lips. Yep. And so, is, does that mean he was wrong in 
you know, cloak himself and, and hide himself in the tree of life? No, maybe he did get life. Life in the Ilam Haba. That's right. Because it was through that, that suffering and that, that death that really brought an atonement for that little flaw he had. Complete of atonement. <laughs> accusing, accusing Israel instead of supporting them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you think about the significance of Tuba Shabbat and the tree, and you have Yeshayahu like in, like in the tree, you know. And we're talking about hiding in Messiah and being grafted in and taking uh, nourishment from the root, you know. And we can't expect to run to Hashem and and be free from problems. We can't expect to run to Hashem and be free and exempt from trials, tribulations, as well as death, like judgments. You know, like, if anything, we're really exposed when we come to Hashem, you know. And yes, there is teshuva, but there's a reason why we have memorial services and yard sites. That's the reason why we have the Kaddish that we recite for those who have passed on. Because we do have to transition through death at some point. And, and it's better to die in Hashem than to die not in Hashem. And so, I mean, seeing that very mortality that we, are, that we have as, as humans, I mean, that should give us humility. That should spur us on to definitely judge favorably, to watch the words that we use, and to really truly cause the echad and the ahava, the oneness, the unity, and the love of Hashem to really consume us to where, you know, there's a lot of things that we have to make tikkun for in our lives. But when we come to Hashem, that's the best thing we could do. And it's just kind of like one of those things where our Yetzirah would say, well, that's not, there's got to be something better because I don't want to die. And it's just like, but you have to. Messiah did. Where do we think that we get to bypass that? <laughs> and yes, we are praying that Yeshua will hurry up and come back so that we don't have to. But realize, even if he even when he comes back, I was going to say if, and that's no. We're even when he comes back and we're still alive, there's going to be that twinkling of an eye moment, which means there's like a, a split second death that happens of some sort, but we won't even notice it because it's going to be that fast. But still, there is that little transition. So I just wanted to uh, comfort us all that coming to Hashem really brings out that which is hidden, that which is deep within us, just like that sap that potential that's in the tree when we celebrate Tuba Shavat, like that's coming out to the forefront. And this is why it's so awesome to have Messiah Yeshua as our Mashiach, because we have him, his essence, like the bones of Yosef that carried the children of Israel through the wilderness. And I know what you're thinking. We carried the bones of Yosef through the wilderness. And it's like, yeah, right. He carried us and we carried him just like those who carry the ark. So it's a beautiful thing that we get to come to Hashem in Messiah because he's the only one who overcame and conquered death. 
and through us walking in his ways, staying attached to him, abiding in his words, as we have all of our death and all of our sin and all of our darkest things come to the forefront because it's going to be exposed in the light, Baruch Hashem, we're now going to be able to deal with it, to coon it, and have the master carpenter and the master physician right there to treat it. So. Man. You know, just to, to tag on that idea and go in this last last section of the idea of this half Torah in 613. 613, you know? oh my yeah. goodness. <laughs> Parsha Yisrael. It says, yet a tenth part will remain after the persecutions and exile, but it will also be destroyed. However, as the uh, terebinth and the oak shed their leaves and fall, but their trunk remains. So is the Jewish people's stem, its holy seed, its sadakim. They will survive, and their descendants eventually will return to the land. Which is B'nai Israel are like silver, which the silver says refines again and again, until only the purest remains. The prophet foretells in exile only a tenth, the holiest of them will survive, just as Maser, the tenth one's produce, is holiest. The tenth part will be refined again. The remaining Jews will regenerate themselves just as trees blossom again after the winter. I mentioned this whole idea of uh, Zerah Kodesh, this, this holy seed. Yes. And then it goes into talking about we're going to regenerate like trees. And so how, how fitting is we just got, you know, um, we just went through a beautiful uh, Tuva Shrat and hope all of us had a, a beautiful Seder. Can you eat a phone? I mean. And so it's, it's just amazing because you look at the seed and many times if you keep the seed in the fruit, you know, say like maybe like avocado, for example, if you keep the, the big nut that's in the avocado in the avocado, it will actually preserve all that fruit. Wow. It's the seed that preserves the fruit and it's the seed that allows a regeneration to take place. And, you know, it mentions this idea of this, this holy seed. And, you know, later it goes in and talking about uh, the son who is to be born. And, yeah, you know, a lot of people say, hey, this is this is Hezekiah. Uh, and, yes, it may have referred to him because he did wonderful, amazing things. But we mentioned that the, the, the prophets, the words they wrote were only written down and canonized because their words were last for every single generation. Right. And so, you know, ultimately, this hints at the, the holy seed, the holy seed, the ha zerah Kodesh, the Mashiach, who, will pres- who preserves us in this time and who allows us to grow further. Amen. Wow. <laughs> That's so, amazing. This, while we're on that, the, the tuba shot, you know, kick, we're still in the Kudashah of that, the tuba shot week, if you will. I mean, well, Rukashim, please uh, share your insight that you would definitely love to get to, uh, if you don't mind, because definitely want you to be able to do that. Um, well, I don't, I don't, uh, I think it, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't focusing my time right. It'll take a while. Oh, so. all right. Well, I Rukushim, hate to I don't want to rush through it. 
as uh, <laughs> as Rabbi Griffin, Captain Israel, brought out in the Aliyah a day. This is now going to be a part of the Left Behind series. <laughs> oh my goodness! So, Rukushim, we 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 love our Rabbi, and we do exactly what he does. So, if he's going to have a Left Behind, so do we. <laughs> how, about, how about this? Next year in the New Jerusalem. Oh. <laughs> Baruka Shamo. All right. So, um, any last things that you would like to say for uh, this week's Hop Tour to wrap it up before we index our time? Well, just to give someone uh, just a little little reading further onto something that comes in the end of Half Tour. There's this mysterious uh, final mim, and I'm not I'm not going to go into it. I I would love to, um, but you know it's it's off the best. We talk about what we need to talk about and. You know, maybe next one, but there's a wonderful article in the Ladder of Jacob by um, the author Benjamin Burton. It's called The Mystery of the Mim. Ooh. It states what this final mim, this closed mim, is doing in the middle of a word, essentially. And, you know, the the word that's talking about the increaser. That's right. You know, just if you want further reading on that and how. Uh, that resembles Mashiach and his mission and his story, then I encourage everyone to, to definitely read that article for sure. Amen. I agree. If that was a Facebook post or an Instagram post, I would click the thumbs up on it. Share. <laughs> <laughs> well, Todar Rabah, I definitely agree with you, Habibi, uh, that... We definitely spoke about what we needed to speak about. And I know it's kind of one of those things where it's like, man, there's a lot of verses in this Haftarah and we only got a little bit of time to do it. But you know what? Part of why we do what we do and with these podcasts and with any tour study that we are ever privileged to be a part of, it is to really encounter Hashem. And when you think about encountering a shim, it's not something that you want to get through. And, you know, and and you and I both realize this, that once you're encountering a shim, you do not want to leave. You will, like, (laughs) take somebody out, you know, in a loving way as possible. But you're just like, man, I don't want to go. So one more hour. (laughs) You said that five hours ago. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah, it's like you remember that time Yeshua said, "Could you not stay awake with me for one hour?" It's like you best believe we will. You know, right? (laughs) Right. But but seriously, I just want to say that you know, in in front of everybody, that uh, at least I I don't know, man. Like I'm just so thankful that. What we talked about today, what we talked about for the Haftarah for Parsha Yitro, this needs to be known and practiced and walked in and like it needs to go out to the four corners of the earth because this is what's going to hasten the return of Messiah Yeshua. We need to get out of exile. We don't need to stay here. So let us rejoice in what we learned today and thank you Hashem. And we say, what do we know? What do we know? Barukatah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Zur Ko HaOlamim Zadik Beko HaDorot HaEl HaNeeman HaOmer VeOse HamDaber UmKayem SheKol Devarav Emet Vazerek Neeman Atahu 
Adonai Eloheinu, vene emanim devareka vedavar, echad, midvareka achor lo yashuv recham, ki el melek neeman verakaman ata, baruk ata Adonai, ha el ha neeman bekol devarav, biskut Mashiach Yeshua, amen veamen. Well, shalom to everybody and Shavuot Tov and Toda Rabah Hasis Baz. And I just want to tell everyone, thank you for joining us. And this is us saying shalom and we're signing out for now.